Every exercise allots an, an, an alteration of some kind, except one, hanging. You can't shift to make anything easier when you dead hang. Your brain hyper freaks out <laughs> more than it ever would. And so literally somebody who's just processing and battling, throw them up on a hang and they literally will just raise their level of being able to process whatever the hell they're going through. Everybody will hang in my office. Yeah, grip strength's important, blah, blah, I get it. But that is so much more beyond from a brain development standpoint. And they're doing it in brain balance centers or mental health disorder centers, like stimulating brain by just a dead hang. Very simple. That was chiropractor and sports performance expert, Dr. Tommy John, speaking on the neuromuscular benefits of hanging in athletic performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Ladies and gentlemen, sports enthusiasts, one and all, welcome to my show. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and this is the Just Fly Sports Performance Podcast. Hey, uh, so today we have uh, two things that are really cool about this show. One, it was recorded live and in person yet again. Well, not live because it was uh, last Sunday, but uh, in person with the dynamic chiropractic duo of Dr. Tommy John Jr. and Alex Lee. Uh, so many of you know who Dr. Tommy John is. He is the son of the Major League Hall of Fame pitcher, to the original Tommy John, who had the Tommy John surgery on the UCL. And Dr. Tommy John's mission is really... Uh, you look at how that surgery has increased tenfold since the 90s, and Dr. Tommy John is doing incredible things in the youth sports performance space in um, not only battling against early specialization, but just educating people on how to develop young athletes from a holistic perspective. He has a book called uh, Minimize Injury, Maximize Performance, which is excellent. Um, not only do I think it's awesome, my wife gives it like six out of five stars she loves the book and just with our two young children so an awesome book uh, tommy john is doing incredible things in his space uh, not only obviously great in the world of youth injury prevention but he is an awesome trainer he has strong jay schrader influences as well as being a just a creative and intuitive mind who is 
one of the coaches and trainers who I've met personally who does an incredible job of blending mind and body and spirit in training. And you'll see that as he talks throughout this show. Uh, the other guest we have is Alex Lee. Alex is a guy who actually introduced me to the methods of Dr. Tommy John. And Alex was actually my first like gateway workout into uh, how you really do the extreme isometrics. Uh, and a little background on Alex as well. He uh, had a back injury himself. He was a four-year starter at Wolford College in baseball. Dr. Tommy John Jr., enter Dr. Tommy John. Uh, brought Alex back through correct neurological training, two years of not even doing barbell work, just basic body weight work that uh, brought Alex back to a functioning, high-functioning level. Alex went on to play semi-pro ball, and now he is at um, chiropractic college at LifeWest University. So Alex and I have had some awesome conversations on training. He has taught me a lot, and the first time I ever met him, he showed, took me through the isometric isometric protocol uh, what Dr. Tommy John would coach and the, the intention behind it all and from that day I never really saw the isometrics and training athletes the same it really made a strong impact in my own training in life so I'm so pleased to bring uh, the show with these two to you today we before the episode we actually we played like around the world basketball we were throwing full court shots and just trying to figure it out and just having a blast we were going down the slides these big concrete slides at children's parks and just having the time of our life and just like remembering what it was like to be kids again. And after that, we sat down at a cafe, shot this podcast. Uh, it's a little noisier than I had hoped. I do apologize for that. It wasn't that loud when we walked in, but we, it progressively got louder. And throughout the episode, I was like really crossing my fingers and hoping it would turn out well. So for those of you listening, um, I am getting my feet wet in the world of in-person podcasts. So just imagine you're there with us just having a conversation. And these two are going to dig into the neurology of training, how to master uh, the body weight aspects of training. And not only that, but also the, the just the mental aspects that go into a total well-rounded program. Uh, this work, this neurological work it's very intense. It's not like do this very simple, easy walk in the park rehab exercise. You're going to be great. You'll see just how far down the rabbit hole, like real serious neurological work can be when you draw uh, the full spectrum of the athlete into the equation. So Dr. Tommy John and Alex are going to talk about uh, basically being a better human, as Corey Schlesinger mentioned in last podcast from a neurological perspective. They're going to talk about how fatigue can be a teacher. They're going to talk about how spending time away from weights can be effective when you use maximal intention isometrics. They're going to talk a little bit about the field of chiropractic and sports performance, as well as a few other cool things in this uh, really enjoyable conversation. I wish I could spend every weekend hanging out with these guys. It would be awesome. So, But for this little glimpse into my life and this hour at a time I got to spend with them at a cafe, I, um, I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's get to the show. So in, uh, you know, coming off that back injury too, because one of the things I wanted to kind of dig into today is like kind of, I know you went through the traditional SNC experience and obviously Tommy's methodology and, and everything in that world of Jay Schrader as well. And the neurology, uh, it's a lot different. And so what were some things that you feel like were not conducive to your situation prior to meeting Tommy from a physical training perspective? And I'd like to get the lifestyle as well. And then also, uh, um, yeah, just what was the physical before and after? Like, what were some big, big landmark changes? Yeah, well, um, and, and this is nothing against where I went to school, but it was, it, it just seemed like a lot of NCAA schools didn't have like a good four-year progression program. Like, you know, freshman year you're coming in, let's say 
blank slate. You don't really know, you know, anything. You, you don't know how to navigate the weight room. You don't know any of these things um, in terms of how to progress. And you're, and you're trusting that where where you're going to go is going to be, you know, somewhere that you're not just going to be better at your sport, but just a healthier, more robust, you know, athlete and person. Um, and well, I guess going back to what I said, you know, that's not where, that's not really where I ended up. So, um, I guess where, where everything with Tommy came in, it, it was, it was such a, such a different approach that I feel like, you know, we always talk about the, the, uh, the athletic training pyramid, you know, like building up that, that big foundation at the bottom so that the skill at the very top can actually, can actually shine and, and show. Um, and being able to just to pour into that foundation isn't something that I feel like happened, you know, over, over the four year program at school. And, you know, it, it's such a short amount of time in, in terms of periodization and different, different things, planning to get to a certain point. Um, I just feel like I was always tired and, and slow. And it, it was things that, mm, weren't developing like a long-term athlete, you know, it, it was developing shorter term, um, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I'm sure you see it, you know, and, and you have seen it, and that's ultimately what what's led you to where you're at now with a lot of the questions you've asked and things that you've tried to develop for your own athletes. Yeah, right on. I mean, I think one of the big things we had talked about too is like, um, like things at the top of the pyramid. Like obviously, heavy barbell training would be a higher of the pyramid, whereas just basic human training, uh, and I think just basic human training's. It, it can never be understated how important that is. So what were some, what were some things just to move like a better human that you guys were doing? Like just to kind of get back, like what were some basic exercise progressions, things to be a good human from physical and neurological standpoint? So one of the basic ones, and I still use this today, I did it last night at a, at a talk I did with a uh, group of 10 to 12 year olds, um, standing on one leg, just showing the, neuro, the maturity neuromotorly to, to be able to stand on one leg. Alex's glutes and his feet were not communicating in one of the simplest, easiest, f pass fail you can do is literally just stand on one leg to rewire that. And we would do, um, I mean, hours, hours of it total and then building off of that and then getting back to just movements, right? So before we load anything, we, we should be a good mover before we load the move. So it was a lunge, it was a leg elevated lunge, back leg elevated lunge, the squat, the deadlift, push-up position, hanging, push-pulls, bracing, anti-rotate, like it was, it was a lot of basics. And then what he found is we could just fatigue the entire system to adapt without straining one of the <laughs> most strainable joints in the spine sitting at the L5-S1 joint, you know, junction. And he was like, I'm, I'm failing all over the place. I'm crushed. My body is just, but nothing hurts. This is unbelievable. This, I'm, I'm like, isn't it? Like, I even get still excited that we can still, in the face of whatever we're dealing with, stimulate and adapt at, at any level that you're willing to put intention behind. Um, I don't know what you remember. If you, <clears throat> I mean, I, I remember the shock of just a new program and having it be radically different and having all these you know all these questions at the end of the day when I was about to go to bed like laying there like man maybe I could have done maybe I could have stuck it out a bit more and, and it was things that you'd say you'd be like man you're gonna you're gonna be going to bed tonight and you're gonna be thinking I I could have held on for another like five seconds and, and it's gonna I, I don't know not ruin your day but you're gonna be neurotic and <laughs> you know and you were dead on but it was always that wanting to do better than I had done the time before and I mean 
ultimately what I think everything boils down to with the whole approach to training with this is um, I got so in tune with what my body needed and wanted all the time that you know it it was great to have Tommy as a resource but you get to a point where it's like I'm just gonna trust what's what's going on in here and and it, it's gonna tell me the right things right you know it's gonna tell me when I need a rest it's gonna tell me when I need a you know when I have more in the tank when you know if it's just something where I'm not digging in deep enough and gritting because you know I, I do have it physically in my reserve right now to do something and um, you know yep yeah, so that, I mean, that being a lot, of, you talked a little bit about, like, fatiguing to adapt. And so, I mean, that's in the realm of, like, like the isometric stuff, right? Like, iso lunges, standing, push-up, all that stuff, yeah. and where it's just, like, and you mentioned how that plays in with the back, but, like, what what do we get in fatigue, the fatigue elements when you guys get into that iso stuff where the fatigue is coming up? Like, what, how is that something that you guys are, like, is utilizing as, like, a teacher, or how is that, how do you guys play with that? So uh, what's cool is that, the brain doesn't know we're, we're training and it's positive. It, it senses system is being threatened as if, and if you could create the right environment, it thinks it's going to die. So it will do the gnarliest things ever to survive. And if you can literally create an internal environment that I'm going to die or my leg's going to hit the ground or five minutes are going to be up, the changes in the face of fatigue, because uh, Dr. Andrews, uh, world-renowned surgeon, said... 3,600% increase in injuries when we play fatigue, when kids play fatigue. And then he goes, now, now how, do we, how do we prevent fatigue? <laughs> and, and everybody's going to be like, oh, it's training. Like, well, staring at a screen fatigues you. Sleep, food, you know, our emotional state. Like, there's so many things that go into it. But if we're just talking about the training, my gosh, in the face of fatigue, being able to be precise because we've sim kept it so simple. And so in the blinding fury of burning and shaking and doubt and fear and death, you can pull your toe up and lock your knee out and tighten your stomach. You know what I mean? And bring your chest tall. And then worst case scenario, you fail. You regroup with two breaths, three breaths, a slap in the face or a shot. Of, and then you get right back up into it. And you keep repeating this. And the brain will, will heighten certain things to to survive, we're just creating that life or death on everything. I, I like the idea of, and Alex, you said it when you were working out one time, it's like take something really simple and make it maximally intentful and like you can, it's almost like you want to get like, like an ISO lunge, like, like try to hold an ISO lunge as long as you can, like what starts to happen. And for me, it's like, it's interesting to see like, okay, my quad's gone, oh, now I feel my glute, like, like things like that, but also the idea of, yeah, I will die before I get down with this lunge. Or like I've heard people talk about like when they work out, like on other podcasts, like acting as if you're working out to like, you know, save your family or something, you know, not just, not just on working out to, I don't know, be good. Cause I want to be great. Like, like trying to almost draw in these other, and it's like, well, it's a modern man, right? Like how much do we really have to work out to save our family anymore? I mean, right, right. maybe on some, you know, if it's like you're buff and you look good, it makes you more money or something, I guess, but like, not really not, it's not like, I'm in shape to like be a better hunter and a better fighter or whatever it took. And I think that but we I, need that I, yeah. emotional cue at the, yeah. at the front of our brain, yeah. because when things start to get real, when you are training, you need something to fall back on or else you just right away, you just uh, stop, you know, and that's, well, you're not going to get any adaptation. You're not going to, nothing's going to happen desirably to get you to where you want to be ultimately if you have, if you have goals in training. So 
Um, I think you had talked about like the greatest emotion, like the most powerful emotion is love. Like, sure. and I mean, that's almost like could be linked to survival too. It's I think it's all kind of in that same loop. Yeah, yeah. like love of life or yeah. love of. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time when they walk in. Listen, if you do this right, <clears throat> it's going to be the toughest environment you've yeah. ever been in. That's why my office is so calming, and everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, it's so healing." Yeah, yeah, but it's Unt also until, it's also yeah. calm because <laughs> we're trying to keep your system so down so you can amp it up so much. And they're like, "What?" Like it's like a like a like a water flowing torture room, and it's like no, because everything's going to check your why. Every single suggestion I'm going to make is going to be to check your intent. And if you don't have that clear picture, usually based around something you love, whether it's your family, yourself, your job, not challenging who loves what and what's right or wrong, but whatever that is, it's coming. And if you don't have it, you will just dip out and, and that's cool. But then your expectation of your, your gains or adaptation, it's not gonna be there. And that's fine too. Just don't expect it to and don't come back, this didn't work, because it always works. It's a principle, it's a law, it's there. Yeah, that's, to me, it's like, and I, I think before I even talked to you the very first time, it was, we, we had talked about like the pipes, and I think you are the one, Alex, who talked about, you know, the pipes, the, the Jay Schrader idea of simulating an athlete physically, see if I can remember it, on the spot, physically, emotionally, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, and like, I think you got it, yep. Yeah, I did get them, oh, yeah. <laughs> but this idea that like, you know, it's how much of, a, of what we dump all our energy into is just the first P, you know, it's, it's, right. Sure. And how much do we lose by not? And I even just think it, it's 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 cultivating the practice of awareness of like just really reading an athlete on a multi multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's funny. It's fun. One of the most fun things for me in the you know the weight room is is that ex experience where you challenge an athlete to do something that's out of their comfort zone, and and you know either people are just wired for that stuff and love it, or some people just have a block. And as soon yep. as you see that block fall down, and sometimes it's out, they just going like ah, yeah. And you just you, it's 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 usually accompanied with this groan, like it's almost like they have to like they have to get in their body to change yep. it. They can't stay in their head. They have to do something that puts them in their body. And now I can get to this next level. And I think we lose that because a lot of us are so afraid of fatigue. And yeah, if it, going to fatigue on a set of squats that makes you lift like shit, you know, like yeah, I get like no, let's not do that. But like. Like an ISO is the easiest way to pretty you could possibly do that. Right. So, uh, well, right on. I, I think um, so. Along with like you know, so your your kind of experience of change, and you went on to play a few years of semi-pro baseball after that, Alex. I played four seasons, two in Europe, two in Australia, and all, all okay back and to back to back in a 24-month span. So. Um, but yeah, I, so that was about a year and a half after getting under care with Tommy and training and um, yeah, just got to a point physically where honestly injury wasn't even something that was on my mind anymore. I was like, my back is so naturally braced right now with with what I've done in terms of rehabbing and, and just getting myself to a, a higher physical level that I'm at, I'm at a level where there's nothing that could possibly hurt my back or anything else in my body and it, and it was when you have that confidence stepping onto a field or you know a court or, or whatever it is it just makes you it it puts you in a different level different stratosphere and, and you know I wasn't playing at the highest level but I feel like I definitely genetically hit my peak mm -hmm. and I'm cool and I I got to you know 27 years old and I was like this isn't fun anymore I'm done I'm out of here and hung him up didn't even think back so that, that's a cool point you just made it was like 
With every injury, minor, major, comes P the PTSD in our neurology that it holds on. It remembers. The brain remembers everything. Everything that's ever happened to us, arguably from womb to now, right? And if there is the injury, it will not, if it senses it's going back to that environment, it's, it's going to freak out and it's going to hold on, even if the environment's safe. So part of the rehab process, one of the most important ones, is to break that PTSD, and that's a very uncomfortable place to be. He got there, and what it then allows is you to not even think twice about it. You just go, and we're not delusional. We're not distracting somebody so they don't think about it. You're actually putting yourself in a healed spot, and it works the same way emotionally, right? Like, I'm not an emotional anything, but when you hear people talk about healing from an addiction or, or a divorce or a death or something, they almost have to bottom out because something has to be stronger than what was imposed to break that pattern, that injury pattern, so to speak. You know, and, and you know, when I did, so, so, so much of the ISOs and all this training can be done anywhere, right? Like it doesn't have to be in a gym, but I remember, you know, probably two years later, stepping back into a weight room with weight and actually starting to move stuff around and being like, oh my God, it was like the scene in Unbreakable with uh, Mel Gibson, or Bruce, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis on, when he's putting like more paint cans on, on the <laughs> bench. Press. I was like, I was like, I've never been able to bench squat, deadlift this, like what's going on? And, and I didn't, but when you can get to a, a place in your head where you're training everything max effort, um, you, yeah, physiologically the, the adaptation's insane. Yeah, I was gonna say even, I was gonna ask how long you went away from barbell work, right? Because that's like about two years. That's yeah, that's always the thing, right? Yeah. It's like oh, we couldn't get away from barbells for right. too long, like ugh, like yeah. it's like you know that would just send shutters down so many people's spines right. as right. if like. But it's like, I don't know, like how many... Know, go I go mean, work manual labor for two years and yeah, like yeah. carry like bricks like at, you know, in a full squat all day. I, I, I don't know. Then go back and lift, see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I was just, I mean, we were talking about the ISO dips in the bottom position a little bit. Like I, and it was one of your videos, Tommy, seeing that and hearing someone talk about it inspired me to really get after that. And I, I swear it put within two weeks of doing it for five minutes, like total time every day. I think my bench went about 15 pounds and I haven't been benching. It's just like I got back to oh, benching. Wow. I was like, I was like, damn that's a lot easier than it was right. last time. Like, I don't know what happened, but like, I mean, it's, and ultimately to me, it's almost like what you lift. I mean, and Chris Chase and I, we talked about this when we did the podcast. It's like those lifts, it's really cultural. Like if no one ever invented a barbell, I don't know, would you like say who can lift the heaviest tree or push this car or whatever the cultural standard is, but like everything, it's everything underneath it that can push whatever the cultural standard of strength expressed right. is. And, um, so I, I really just like that. I like that it's like, okay, let's, let's get away from this. And I, I know you guys probably, so outside the ISOs as well, kind of rewiring these patterns, emotional lifestyle, the, the emotion and, and the coaching that goes into all this. Uh, I'm sure there was a fair amount of work in the, you know, the chiropractic realm. And, and I really love that you guys are both guys who are going to, I believe are just pushing like that, that marrying of chiropractic and physical training together. And I'd love to see where that is going in the future. I know a lot of people list this aren't chiropractors, but just in terms of a, I guess a futuristic viewpoint or, or a practical viewpoint, tell about how that helped and where you see that like pushing the field forward. So if, if chiropractic is about reconnecting your brain to your body, body back to your brain through your spine, if your spine shifts or gets stuck, if it's stuck, it's a bad feedback loop back to the brain. And then that feedback loop is off that reality and that reality is off and now all of a sudden you have interference creating immune endocrine digestive circulatory musculoskeletal errors when there's not necessarily an error there so 
a, a true chiropractor will just go in and assess the spine, the spine, and see where it needs to be adjusted. Where is this person stuck? They, will tr they should try to talk themselves out of an adjustment. You shouldn't need one. Like a dentist isn't trying to drill on <laughs> teeth. It, I hope not, right? So <laughs> I've had one who does. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we're, we're trying to look and, and talk ourselves out of it. And then if we're in a position, that person's stuck. All right, we apply a force. And then the body goes ahead and takes itself and it does the, the rest of the adjustment. It's called the innate adjustment. We just apply a stimulus, right? And so it's just reconnecting. Well, now this is a whole new reality. You have a complete connection. It's a, it's a, it's a floodgate opened up. Well, now let's take advantage of that. And that's what happens in my office. As soon as they're up off the table, they're moving. And they're moving a lot based on things I've found on their day one or stuff that's going on with them. But, but they're moving quite a bit. And then you start to have moving those segments that have been stuck for so long, initiating these patterns that haven't even, they've been choked off for, for, for quite some time, sometimes 50, 60 years in certain people. And since it's a physical, chemical, emotional construct that creates this, well, we have a, a movement. Now, all of a sudden, if they're able to create some emotional freedom or now they're craving certain foods, they don't know why because they're moving their bodies. And that's why I say in the book as well is when you get clear and you start moving, you start craving things because you know your, your innate knows it can't perform because you're moving if you eat this. It, it's just this beautiful, yeah. not a vicious cycle, but, a, but an amazing cycle. And you start to see that. And again, I don't cram diets down anybody's throat because I just don't think there is one, right? I don't think right there's on. a way. But if you just start reconnecting people to their, themselves, that's the chiropractic. And I always say, on my, I usually wear a hat in the office. I'll flip the hat around. Now I'm not a chiropractor. Now I'm your trainer or, or your, you know, yeah, and that's it. Okay, now we're going to talk to them totally different because your tight back, your neck pain has nothing to do with chiropractic. It's a movement issue or it's yeah. a, a, an emotional issue or it's a nutrition issue or a chemical issue or something that way. I like that. I like, it's kind of like the flip the hat thing too. It's like you think about people who go too far, who dig too far in any field, regardless of what it is. You know, I'm a strength coach. I dig too far into one rep max, squat and deadlift and bench, you know, or, or, or anything, right? And to know when you don't need that. Because, yeah, some athletes do just need to get a little bit stronger. Cool. Like, but um, to know when to flip the hat is so awesome and I, I've, I've talked to it's funny because in the last month I've talked to a few therapists who talk about the idea and I'm glad you brought it up because I mean I, I've actually had, never even had chiropractic done on me to be honest um, but but the idea of oh sorry guys I know I, oh, I can't believe I have you he's going right to be here. he's going to be in clinic very soon <laughs> he's worth the drive yeah all right uh, yeah I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guinea pig go right on donate your body donate your body but uh yeah, I was going to say, just pe hearing people say, look, if I can get away with not giving you an intervention, that's the best thing, you know, to, right. and to know when that's the case. Because, right. like, I was, you know, the, this, the Brett Contreras, the latest Brett Contreras podcast I had had was just hit what drives him nuts is this, the nocebo effect. Oh, this is wrong with you. You need the this. nocebo. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, you know, you're out of line. This muscle's weak. You better sure. do this every day. Like, and if you could just avoid that right. by having them go do it, it's almost like Jeremy Frisch talks about tricking kids into doing exercise, <laughs> like right. tricking people into doing something that gives a corrective benefit. That's not necessarily a, I guess, quote unquote, fix something that's wrong or right. adjustment. Like I've, I've started to realize like, wow, that's to me, that is so where it's at. I, I mean, maybe even something as simple as like I'll do sometimes during the day, I'll do like breathing drills where I put like something, a foam roller, not a foam roller, but like a roof elevated split squat in, or a pad on my mid back and I'll just lean back and I'll do breathing as deep as I can 
And every time I do that, I just I feel like stuff like popping and almost adjusting back in my sure. my thoracic spine as I'm breathing as deep as I can. And I, I think to myself, am I getting a similar benefit by doing this that as if someone was to work? I mean, I don't know, but I know I feel good when I stand up and like this. The way my mind is when I stand up from that is different too. Like what you were saying about it. it's almost like I'm in this thought alignment now because my posture right. is straight and I'm breathing and right. and then I go back to my desk or whatever I'm doing and my day is different and I always try to make sure I have that in my process. So, uh, all right on. I, uh, yeah, so I feel like, uh, yeah, it seems like, I remember as well, like uh, there was one time where it, one, one of my continuing education courses, uh, it was for... It was just for the sake of like muscle, like weakness and, and correction type thing. But there was someone there who they were working on her, like some weak muscle or whatever, I guess weak, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> and, and the guy was like looking at her. He's like, he's like, oh, no, you have a disc out of alignment. And he's like, Is it, he wasn't a chiropractor. So he got a chiro. He's like, hey, you, you're a chiropractor or something like that. And they they uh, they adjusted her neck like there. And that actually fixed the muscle. And she like was just like a totally different like. Like just totally different. Like her everything, her face, her like the way she was going around. So that's that. When you said that, that's what reminded me of that in particular. And I think she definitely right. needed a adjustment. It seemed like so. And that's why I try to tell people we, the body is so good, it shouldn't need as many specialists as we have. But sometimes it gets stuck. Yeah. Sometimes, most of the time it'll self adjust. Sometimes that's not something you feel here sense mm -hmm. but for the most part it will I, i'll never forget i had a woman who was coming to me for tennis elbow that's the lateral elbow that's fairly easy to fix she was pain free within a certain amount of time she was playing tennis well now she's feeling so good and doing so well and functioning so well she kept going as is what we hope like ongoing wellness care right which is why i don't take insurance and so she comes in at the fifth month i first didn't need to adjust her and I check, I check hard. You don't, don't need to adjust you. She's like, what? <laughs> and she wanted it, but I didn't, you know, I, there was nothing I could give her. So now we got a whole month of checking her three times a week for a month. Month six, she comes in Monday at 9.30 a.m. And I'll never forget it. She needed three segments adjusted after being clear for a month. So something's going on. Yeah. So I asked her, physical, chemical, emotional questions, physical, mm -hmm. any falls, traumas, any new trainings, anything I should know about, nope. Uh, chemical, did you tie one on? Are you doing new drugs? Did you do a new, a new pharmaceutical or a cleanse or a detox? And it's just this state of change that I need to know about yeah. before I do something. Nope. Emotional questions. Those are relationship questions, right? So how are the kids? How's, you know, me and my husband got in a fight Saturday night. This is Monday now. Saturday night, the first time divorce was ever talked about. So inside her body was a, a bomb. And that emotional then changed her physiology enough to choke off nerve flow in three different segments. Now, here comes the thought in me. I'm sitting there after hearing this, okay, if I don't adjust her now, could she fix herself? Possibly, right, right, totally. I have to put that out there, but I don't want her going another second choked off. Yeah. Let's just get this and then let's be aware that this happened and now address this. And that was the time I started diving into emotional yeah. health and saw that hypnosis and meditation were the two that can get into our subconscious. I'm like done. And then <laughs> I started meditating and I'm celebrating like four and a half years now of just rocking yeah. meditation for that, you know, so kind of a powerful thing where I could have not intervened and I, I was because I might one of the lone people who really, really try to not do stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. ah, I got to do this because she was clear and there's a good chance she's in a better state to be able to self-adjust. Ah, 
damn it, I'm, all right, I need to let her know that this is what's going on, here's what we're gonna do, and here's how we're gonna move. And then sure enough, after that, she was cleared up right after that, held and held and held. Well, and, and I think with what you just said, you, you're probably one of the most conservative people I've, or conservative chiropractors I've seen in terms of adjusting people. You know, it, you, you honor that, that so much, that, you know, uh, the innate that we have within us that like they were designed perfectly and like you know let, let's not get in the way and, and try right. to try to play god with what we're doing you know um but yeah i i love that about about your approach and you're such do. a defender of the power inside us i almost take it like like personally when somebody's not <laughs> honoring theirs and i'm like ooh, almost like it's a family member so i'm like are you talking smack about the power inside of us <laughs> you know i'm like wait a second it's amazing you've got this i don't know and then i try to just be as congruent as I can to maybe a fault if business-wise, but that's, that's okay. That's what it's all about, though. I mean, it's the same thing. I was just talking with Corey last um, episode about, like, just let the athlete, let the client be the ambassador. Like, and that's, I feel like that's, like, almost the first circle, like, of awareness that you step out of. And it's, like, when you're on their side, it's, like, whoa, that athlete or client has so much more power than I thought. They're, like, wow, I just let them, you know, try that drill for 10 minutes without coaching them, and they figured it out themselves. Oh, they didn't need me. Whoa, like... The crazy, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, just, it's like once you step on this hoop and realize there's a lot of athletes who don't need nearly as much coaching as you think they do. And I think it's cool, like with you guys coming full circle, not only chiropractic, but also exercise. Like the more, the more pieces of the equation you can come from, the more you see the problem solving, you know, potentially able to happen in an intervention that you didn't program or didn't do. And so, yeah, I know in coaching, obviously it's becoming more of a thing, thankfully, where it's like, be more hand, be as hands off as possible and you just hear of elite coaches it's like yeah I say way less now than what I used to and was it coach K with Duke it, uh, he, I think it's something like this is the least I've said to this team like it ever said to a team like oh, wow. during the course of a game like I say way less to this group I don't know if it's maybe the group specifically but right. like but like I think that's just where coaching goes it's just every year see what the power of the athlete has say right. less see the power of the athlete say less see the power of the athlete say less and and view less of this whole thing as a big corrective. Like, well, well, not only that, but if, <laughs> right. if, if you if you just apply that, right, you get w with chiropractic, you get you know a, a better nerve flow. You get a more adaptable person that's going to be better at whatever they do, whether it's you know a sport or just being a, an everyday person. And you get a team of athletes like that. They're going to be they're going to just be better when they can let that flow out of them and and come from that area. Um, and then they're better in every aspect of their life, not just you know, playing a, playing a game on a field, you know, that, that matters so little in the, in the grand scheme of, of everything. Um, which I don't know if that's, well, anyway, I think we're all kind of on that same wavelength a little bit, right? Yeah. I always think Guys, the more, maybe, yeah, the more no. connections you can make with <laughs> life, you know, like, like even what we were, you know, a couple of, I always just, it's funny. Cause I was like catalog these in like, Oh, this podcast. So oh, this podcast, but like yeah. Tony Holler, the feed, the cats and like training track athletes and making it fun for them rather than, um, you know, just it's it's about eight two hundreds and the grind. You know, right. it's like no. Well, what's here's your inner power and what you guys are awesome at. Well, let's just express and it's almost like let's have this expression of gratitude for that and we'll train like it. Right. And it's like you know, Tony was an educator and he's been through the school system and he sees how it's not just you know training. This is applicable to every aspect of life. And uh, no, right now I think that's always something that's important. I, I was to say time of the hypnosis thing is interesting too. I've been getting into you know hypnosis. I mean, I, I feel it make a difference for me in like in just strength because that's typically the ones that I do. But I could totally see. I, I read a book. It was like called um, "The Cure Within." It was just talking about like like hypnosis. Like in the fifties, there was like hypnosis-based healers. I guess like who would have worked at hospitals and like would cure people through hypnosis. It's right. like to think you know 
every aspect of the human body. It just kind of makes me think too about like almost if you can like adjust, you know, the body can self adjust, like how much the nervous system really controls. Like, like there's so much in here that can do way more than we ever thought it could. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I think it's almost just like, I've talked about this with like Dan Fichter too. It's almost like we're just at the tip of the iceberg with, with just how much the brain and the nervous system can really do. And it's like, the emotional I don't, yeah. buttons, yeah. I don't think we're supposed buttons. to know. Like yeah. if we could fathom, yeah. like, so research comes along, new discovery, new discovery, but it's been happening since the dawn of man. You yeah. just discovered it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's a new process. It's just, it's been occurring. Now you can like quantify it or, or objectively put a label on it or systematize it or whatever. I just think the permutations of, of billions of billions of, options that the brain can go is more vast than any stars in the known universe yeah. and that's known universe we don't have any idea yeah. about anything and that's just so great like let's just leave it right there and know that it's powerful and be humble to it and grateful and move on do our part yeah i can't say how many not how many but like some of the majorly powerful systems of of training or therapy that I have been experienced. Heck, even the extreme ISOs, right? Like, do we know exactly why an extreme ISO works? I, I, or even <laughs> like, and I don't know. <laughs> like the scientific broken down answer would be boring and almost just takes the magic out of it. Just, yeah, I don't know, just appreciate it. Just appreciate you know? that this works, that yeah. the human body is capable yeah. of this, yeah. Ask me in 10 years, I'll have a different answer because it'll and be it's completely not like different. A, it's not like a salesy <laughs> answer either. It's like yeah. just, Try it and do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> try anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving, moving forward into like some kind of like, I guess we could call it issues in training, right? And we, we just at the playground seeing kids like play and run all over the place and slide down slides and problem solve. But obviously, the only time we talked about this last time, your new books about this is, you know, just this injury epidemic through over-specialization. And, and, and through that course, like, I mean, how do we start to like – you know, we have an athlete, maybe who's like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, who's only doing one sport. They haven't played multiple sports for a few years. Um, and, and there's injuries that are creeping up because of that. How do we uh, approach, how do you approach that? An athlete comes to you, how do you approach that? So here's what's interesting, okay? And I confirmed this with a woman named Angela Hanscom, who wrote, um, she's an occupational therapist, 30 plus years of experience. She wrote Balanced and Barefoot. Um, and is, has started Timber Nook. It's this outdoor activity, the, the benefits of being outdoors, uh, getting these kids outdoors. Because I noticed that when I run my athletes through exams, there's problems that are stemming from zero to three years old. Like if we talk about primitive reflexes, those should be integrated by two at the latest. If they're sustained, what the hell is going on from zero to two? It's not youth sports. So it has nothing to do with specialization. So wait a second. I'm talking about sports. I'm trying to say it's bigger than sports. Let me go to an expert in this. And so I had a half hour conversation with her. She didn't know sports were falling apart. And when she heard that, she's like, oh my gosh. Now, when I talk to her, she goes from womb to 12. We're raising our kids. It's backwards how we're raising them. You know, um, I call them the three S's. It's screens, seats, and swaddling. Excessive confinement to prevent movement. Now there's over 400 seats to sit babies upright so they sit in one place, but they're not supposed to sit in one place. And now they're bearing weight in their spine and they can't. So now you have this lack of free play, lack of motor development, lack of integration of all the senses, which there's seven, and not all of them, proprioception and vestibular being a part of, taste, touch, smell, like 
the kid that craves only three foods also isn't a good mover. Interesting. Very interesting, right? Yeah. And so when all that's integrated, what she's seeing is learning disabilities or, you know, on the spectrum of variation. So now, if, if we hold that, and I, I asked Frisch about this, and I said, let's say I get the 14, 15-year-old who comes in, who from womb to 12 missed 12 years of free play. Am I supposed to go into that 14-year-old and start training? Like, what does that mean to that person? They were supposed to go through the developmental processes that naturally occur when you just literally stick a kid outside and just leave them outside like we witnessed when we were sliding down that slide today. So I, I'm torn because it, do we do Frisch's model where we have people playing, you know, there's like a playful element to it and then they have a certain level they get to and then we transition to more specified or we start loading those movements or so how I approach it is I, I don't go as, as, as rudimentary as play but I do do the basics of what we almost did as infants in, in thousand rep schemes in, in tons and tons and tons. And then when they establish some general form of you know, basic movement patterning, then all of a sudden I'll load and we'll get into a performance realm because there's no reason to go earlier because you can't speed that up. And how much time that takes, it's up to the person, the in intent, the nutrition, the screen time, the sleep, the everything else that goes into play. So that's the challenge. Yeah, the so some of that high rep stuff too, because obviously if you have to rewire something, you need right. to do a ton of reps. I think that's something the industry doesn't really do a lot of. Like I know Alex, when we would work out, it's like, okay, you're gonna do 50 arm circles each way, 50 hip circles each way. You know, like it's like a lot of reps and a lot of people it's like either it's- As a warm-up. Yeah, as a warm-up. Yeah. And, 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 and then I know like the three-way three shoulder thing and things like that and walking for 10 minutes. And so what what are some of those big movements that need to be done a lot of for like, like basic, I don't know, like you, you almost like say it's like taking your daily apple of, of, of body health neurologically or like what are some of those big rock movements that need to be done in high rep for I guess especially those people who have lost like the reflexes are over specialized but also just for the sake of maybe anybody sure well you just talk about a basic cross crawl patterning so um, I guess Superman's would be the the biggest staple there with being on your stomach right arm left leg raising up behind you and then alternating and in the same pattern that we would progress from crawling to walking upright to running um, just a pattern that uh, is more or less lost and not really trained as much as it as it needs to be, and um, you know strengthens extensor muscles, everything in the in the posterior chain, which is something that if you're just thinking about our development as as a human, you know, Tommy says this all the time, starting off in a in a C shape, you know, in a little you know in a little ball, and we come out and then. We start getting on our stomach to try to lift our head up, and then you know the, the, the cervical curve, the, the curve in our neck starts to develop, and then we start to get upright and, and bear weight, and we start to you know develop a lumbar spine, and we get to a point where we're upright and we're walking and we're really really strong up until I don't know age of four or five, um, like the kids that we saw today at the playground, yeah. just moving perfectly, and then we get to a point where we start sitting and screen time is a lot higher, and that's happening in elementary schools now, and you get kids that start to revert back to that C-shape kind of everything slouched forward, head pitched forward, yeah. um, and getting away from that, you know, just the extensor muscles in the back being able to posturally hold us up. Um, I mean, I, I'd say out of, if you had to pick three movements, that'd be like number one, like with the firm, like bullet point star 
like that one for sure. Um, and then I don't know if we had to go two more, probably something either lunge or straight leg raise barefoot to train feet and then something upper body like, like hang from a bar to, you know, feet and hands need to be very, very strong. That's how we experience our whole lives. And, and if those aren't, if those aren't strong, we're, <laughs> we've got, we've got nothing really. Yeah. Hanging. I know hanging. I know, um, Jeremy talks a lot. Fritz talks about like baseball guys who can't even do monkey bars, like 12 or 13. Yeah. There's just no, there's just nothing there. So. I love the, I love four movements. We might have touched upon this, uh, last podcast, but it's squat deadlift or movements, squat deadlift movement. Um, like some sort of a split, whether it's a one-legged squat or a lunge, and a press and a pull, and then all the other stuff in between. So we're talking about high reps. How do we get away with high reps in a squat? Well, you can do a hold, yeah. and then I guess in theory it's oscillations. Yeah, that's or, high reps. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it is still high reps, but we're just not seeing it at, at, the, at the level that we would visually maybe. Yeah. You know? um, but if we do, I do 1,200 hip circles. So 1,200 hip circles are the last 74-year-old that came in. That's wow. a warm-up. That's the start. And it's not even a warm-up. It's just his hips. That's where we go. Barefoot, you know, 1,200. Takes him a little while. Yeah. Uh, another gentleman who has a hip replaced, uh, 1,200 takes him about four minutes to just knock out bing, 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 bing. Wow. You know what I mean? And then we go through 3,200 shoulders. <laughs> uh, it just happened to be that day. And all right. And that's, you know, just ingraining that stuff. So I don't know. Those four moves, the squat or deadlift, a split stride of some kind, a push a press of some kind and then a hang and the the scap now i'm using as my my psychotherapist <laughs> because not mine personally well sometimes <laughs> mine but in every sense if if our brain senses threat it thinks it's dying it thinks it's getting damaged so it, sh it will shift itself to buy comfort or relief or safety in a lunge it'll rise up shift your hips back drive the front heel down on the ground put your hands on your knee cast your hips like fall forward something will happen Every exercise allots an, an, an alteration of some kind, except one, hanging. Yeah. You can't shift to make anything easier when you dead hang. Your brain hyper freaks out <laughs> more than it ever would. Yeah. And so literally somebody who's just processing and battling, throw them up on a hang and they literally will just raise their level of being able to process whatever the hell they're going through. Everybody will hang in my office. Yeah, grip strength's important, blah, blah, I get it. But that is so much more beyond from a brain development standpoint. And they're doing it in brain balance centers or mental health disorder centers, like stimulating brain by just a dead hang. Very simple. Yeah, I, I've, this is just me always playing around. Like every time I work out, I can't just do a squat or a, a clean or wait three minutes and then do it again. Like I have to do stuff in between. So I'm always like, I always just find myself just doing handstands or hangs. Hangs is one of my favorite things or one arm hangs or just like, screwing around in the monkey bars like it's just it's just where i want to go right. I, I don't know it's totally. just like such an innate thing so yeah right on i, I like the idea too of this like uh, that if it's neurological like reps are needed and like you hear about like the the people in like the jay schrader videos it's like oh i had to, i did like a th so many glute ham raises for like all this time and i thought i was gonna be dead but then i went on the court and i was all you know i felt like i was, got to every ball is so fast like right. And that's all like neurologic. It's the re neurological reps that those creates. That there was some uh, athlete in the the other day. My ceiling's ten feet, and this pitcher um, jumped and he could scrape like just shy of scraping the ceiling. And and we did stuff. He was all throughout the session. He was trying to re revisit it. 
and he's just getting a running just jump just vertical jump no judgment no anything and he's he, i mean he's a hair from touching it then we did a fairly ridiculous leg methodic it was a, a kind of higher load held for 10 seconds with some jumps and some other things and it was it was full like like complete cash rest five minutes in between and we'll repeat three sets it was gnarly like so gnarly i didn't even participate <laughs> with him like i'm not doing it he's like you gonna train with me i'm like absolutely not He's like, why not? I'm like, my why is not bigger than that. <laughs> and he goes, uh, but then when he finished the third set, done, cashed, goes and puts his hand through the ceiling. And then he stands and looks at the ceiling and he's like wondering why. Now, we get into explaining why that's possible. And then he's like, wait, what? Now, what we want to try to do is have him repeat that a hundred times. And that's where we stimulate that to where that's your main, that's your baseline is we put four inches through the ceiling instead yeah, yeah, of just yeah. scraping it, right? At the end of the workout. It was, a, it was kind of an enlightening moment for an athlete. And now he's putting things together that I could talk till I'm blue in the face. And even I, like, I love seeing it in real, like theory expressed in, you know, experimentation or real, experiential. Yeah, things that bring out like we talked about, like things that bring out that innate Superman inside of anybody where it's like, right. it's almost like that's more of it versus traditional. Like, and I like, I look at this in track and field a lot where it's like, okay, now run. Like I say, you know, put your, get your knees up and do this. Like I say, and you're going to be slower for a little while, but Oh, you're going to be faster when you get it. Like that's always what is said, but it's like, how about we see what makes you good in this session right now that lets right. you be the best you unleash your inner Superman or Superwoman, And then let's build on that. Like I, I always like that type of idealist right. a little bit more um than than that like oh well down the road and uh, i know it's, it's it's really good it's it's always enlightening and uh the nervous system is such a cool thing i so in terms of um so i guess i'll, I'll go with this too in, in terms of over over specialized you know obviously free play but then reps are the right things and but this is always an interesting thing to me is like the parents of these these kids like how do we and maybe this is i feel like it's Maybe it, do you think the culture change uh, into over-specialization? I mean, where does it really start? Does it start with the parents? Does it start with the way we look at sports? I mean, that's a big question, but like, how do we? So here's the thing. The youth sports industry is $17 billion, and they're selling the lie that specializing is creating a higher-performing athlete. And it's not even researchable. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But they are pushing that and doing a very good job of approaching who? They're not approaching the nine-year-old they're approaching the parents of the nine-year-old knowing that all a parent wants is what's best for their kid. There's nothing wrong with that, but that industry doesn't get to $17 billion a year by being honest. Yeah. And so yeah. The special, does it come down to the parents? Well, yeah, ultimately, but they're being sold and they're being lied to and they don't know. And then they're, they're terrified and scared of all the information that's out there. Who do I trust? I'm, there's so many people coming at me. You're one of the only two people saying the opposite. How are you? And I'm like, Listen to me, go with your gut, but if you need help, just Google specialization. The research is behind you. It's behind what I'm saying. The other side doesn't have anything behind it. And clearly something's not right. Like clearly we are just failing with concussions and pediatric ACL tears and Tommy John surgeries and stress fractures and being medicated for anxiety and depression. Like, it's not even sports when you talk to Angela. She didn't even know sports had an issue. So it's a cultural deal, and that's why I try to say that the solution will not come from some specialist, doctor, trainer, a facility, or wearable technology that everyone's going to try to sell. This is going to save everybody. It's coming back to the family unit 
to raise this culture, raising these kids regardless of whether they're playing sport or not because yeah. this problem is so much bigger than sports. Yeah, it's no, that's that's so well said. I feel like, yeah, is it really, <laughs> it, it just is so funny to me to see how like growth-minded economy, it's like, oh, it, rather than let's fix the problem at its source, is like, let's let's take advantage of this and make a training program for it right. at the end of the tunnel, you know, right. or a, a rehab program or a, right. when it's like, I don't know, just, I mean, I think you see it all when you go to the park and you see kids, you know, running and playing and going down the slide. And like, you know, if, if this was our culture, instead of, you think about those kids, you know, in like six, seven, eight, nine or 10 years, and now they stopped doing that. And now they're doing one thing. And like, it's crazy. It's almost as if you could see like the shades, like a year at a time, you know, what would you see? It's interesting. What is it? What's the gen now? Gen Zers? Probably what's the late? I don't even know anymore, but I, but <laughs> I was talking to somebody and they're bragging like, oh my gosh, yeah, so this next, this generation is so much more, they, they've been labeled, they're more sophisticated and advanced because they can navigate a phone and operate an iPod and do all this stuff. And I'm like sitting there as they're going ahead over all these accolades that uh, this generation is amazing. And I'm like, but their immune systems deplete, they have higher allergies, they're not survive, you know, they're, they're chronically injured at 20 and can't stand on one leg or tie their shoes or have reflex problems and developmental disorders more than ever. But somehow we're advancing. I, I couldn't think more, we're devolving beyond devolving. <laughs> I, I heard a, it was an ad of my Slacker radio, it was kind of depressing. It was talking about, <laughs> this, is, this is nothing to do with, well, I mean, it has everything to do with sports yeah. performance, but it's like, I just love these conversations. But it was basically like, look, like we evolved this far because there was stress in our lives. Like there was <laughs> right. legit obstacles to overcome for us to become who we are. Now you go to the supermarket, can buy anything you want. Of course, nutrition, you devoid food. Everything is taken care of you. There's safety nets everywhere. Like you almost can't mess up in some senses of the word. Life is so handed to you. And talk, you, you hear about watered down classes, just so you, everyone could go to college. And and but and it's almost like we. Is there any other place to go to but to devolve? And you see like you know <laughs> someone on the smartphone and what you were talking about, like the mind is the body, right? Like right. a healthy, well functioning, aligned uh, mind and body is is. Um, it's totally different. It's like, you know, those kids who are laughing and playing and expressing themselves. It's not like they're sitting over there. It's not like they're like have this hunch back. Like, right. you know, they can all stand on one foot. They're all like, you know, that mind body connection is just bang on. And they're having a great old time. And then I don't know. It is. It was kind of depressing. But it's basically the idea like we have nowhere to go but to devolve because it's too easy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, well, going back to your question yeah. a minute ago about, you know, what, what to tell the, the parent. Right. <clears throat> we were talking about it. We were talking about it yesterday, Tommy, with uh you know, like at, at, at five years old, there's no, you don't sign your kid up for little league and hope that someday he's in the big leagues, right? You sign him up for little league cause he's going to go play with his friends and then you keep, you know, progressing and they get a little bit older. Um, and then with a lot of these, I don't know, youth, youth sport business, whatever you call it, they're, they're starting to throw more of, you know, don't get left behind and, and yeah. scholarship opportunities and all that. And there's, you were saying that there's a fixed, like the number of colleges and scholarships isn't increasing. It's the same amount, but the yeah, amount that's of money. Not, that, that's not that, the growth part. That's not the growth economy part. Yeah, right. sure. Yeah, like it, it's it's fixed. It's just more family time and money getting thrown into something that isn't. It's well, it's interesting. I, yeah. the, a little off tangent. I, I coached at uh, Wilmington College Division Three in the like the Ohio Athletic Conference. This is just track and field, but every now and then I just go and see how like the conference meets doing. Because to me, it's almost like the the what people are running in that conference and, and it's gotten worse significantly worse since i left 
I'm nothing to do with me. This is just the conference as a as a whole, and like, just I don't know. Is it like is it are kids just less less interested in track and more interested in other sports? You know, is it just harder to get kids to do that? Like, and I think about, yeah, I I, I think there's a lot there. I I think you know the FOMO is a big thing too, right? Like the parent who thinks, oh, if my kid doesn't do this league, you know, like. And maybe we need more case studies too, where it's like, look, like you know, Steph Curry didn't do AAU, or like, oh, yeah. to, to really highlight the people who didn't do that, and then maybe even the people who did and it didn't, like, you know, you didn't get to that. It's like everyone wants the scholarship, right? Like, it's just an interesting thing. That's why I talked to Angela, and she had said, I said, what, what specifically is it about the parents? Because it is the parents. And as I said, if you research, it's all behind you, and you can. That's your defense. That's your reasoning behind it to making these decisions against specialization or in, in the face of the majority coming at you. I said, what is it about them? What are you seeing outside of sports? And she goes, a parent worries too much about what other parents think of them. Social media is helping that, right? Like what you portray and put out there. And then another thing is you're putting your identity onto your child and that can't happen, some form of your identity. So she said those two things right there, which I thought were interesting because they have nothing to do with sports or specialization or anything else. It's just whether you participate in sports or not, but that's it. Don't worry about who next door is doing what. And that's very hard for a parent to do that for themselves, let alone in the face for their kids. Yeah, in this society where it's like, where we have everything, what's left? Oh, my kid's better than your kid. You know, like, and right. it's like, whether we mean to or not, I mean, and even with my, you know, like, my children, it's like, I feel like it's my mission to to not, you know, almost to, like, just to, to not have a, it's like, I, I almost want them to be good at something that's not sports. Like, I almost want them, I always want them to be physically active, but I almost want them to be, like, like, like really good at, like, drama or something. Just yeah. to force me to have no hand in how good you are or you did what I did like I, I almost really want at least one of them if not both I don't care but like to do something that wasn't what I did because otherwise I just feel like like if Mike one of my kids loves track I just feel like I'm gonna be I'm just like uh oh like <laughs> then here comes dad like uh like you know right. let's and so I just feel like the that whole that whole bit of it is is definitely a big thing especially in a society that definitely has everything um I I, I do want to get one more question before our time is up today and so this is super basic too, and kind of back to training as well. Uh, but, and this is just maybe you could even consider this like a lightning round question of sorts. But uh, if you could choose only one, uh, so you get to do, and let's just say this is for, I mean, I guess you could say, let's just say for generally healthy athletic driven population, uh, you can pick one uh, body weight exercise, an ISO, whatever, one barbell exercise, and one ballistic, like a plyometric exercise. Um, and that's all you have to train athletes with. Yeah. Uh, which one do you Which ones do you pick, and why? So I would go with the barbell being a deadlift, some variation of a deadlift, whatever that means to you. Uh, body weight, glute ham, and ballistic is Russian lunge or vertical jump to Russian lunge or calf jump to vertical jump to Russian lunge. <laughs> Russian lunge. <laughs> some Russian form lunge. of Russian lunge. Yes. Period. Done. Awesome. I'd Alex. probably say the same, and then maybe instead of glute ham for body weight, just walk to the gym instead. <laughs> That'd be the only difference. Walk yeah. to the gym. 10,000 steps. I don't know. Wh whatever it is. Cool. Five miles each way. Uphill in the snow. I love it. Any reason, um, just out of curiosity, and you guys have more experience with this. For me, I'm just in lunge world. I'm in, I'm in five-minute lunge, 10 times a week world, so I don't know. And for some reason, we don't have glute hams in our gym anymore. We can make them. We can, like, arrange them by, yeah. by manipulation. But it's not the, the typical glute ham isn't just sitting there, per se. But any reason the glute ham over the lunge, just out of curiosity? 
I just love it because it's not in gyms. Like I, yeah. do you know what I mean? And I, it's so Russian. I love it. I love it. It's it's so. It hits all those four areas that we can't see, like like a deadlift, like an RDL would too. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, but just tested last night a kid who had a torn UCL, uh, Tommy John ligament inside his elbow. Uh, extension, raises leg. The, the pattern of firing should be glued hamstring opposite low back, same side low back. Everybody's hamstring <laughs> fires first, yeah. and then glute comes in second. Yeah. I don't. It just getting back into that. I think the way we do the lunge with the front heel off the ground and pulling with the front hamstring. I think that satisfies because when we did the program for, programming for the book, Vladimir was in, in, immensely involved in that whole thing. Like yeah. he, he's just such a programming genius, and I suck. <laughs> and I admittedly suck at programming. I'm not about to claim anything. So I'm like, dude, I need help. But we're also putting out programs that the nation's going to take on. Minimal equipment. Yeah. What would we do? And I go over and I'm like, we don't have much hamstring. Well, let's think about this. So then we go leg curl. He's like, no, if they do leg curl and if they do l r the lunge, shit, that's going to be hamstrings like to the max, whatever. <laughs> and like, he's right, right? So I just, the fact that it's, it's not there often and I love it. And I had it in my living room in chiropractic school as a as a chair there was like couch and glute ham in the and they are easy to make if you if you don't frish has them with the pommel horse and a piece of wood against oh, yeah. the wall right? right on he was doing it the other day so uh, any any favorites like like obviously iso being a staple like iso hold or iso into reps or any any typical yeah, protocols you guys like i like the holds first for everything yeah. right like just learning so even a guy complete foot drop nerve impingement somewhere in his spine wherever it is doesn't but could do glute ham hold completely successful no no increase in symptom at all yeah. and could actually carry it out fine so we just exploit the hell out of it and he stayed there uh, i think we totaled over seven minutes that night and he was 74 years old and, wow. and big thing is okay great you you represented it how'd you feel two days later could you do it again could and he's like oh hell yeah no medications no anything big real proud that he's not on any medications and then when that gets good, then you can go to the rep, I find, and then you could do the drop or the, but another accessory move, do 100 to 200 reverse hypers, you know, on the same machine. Yeah, I don't know. Just basic. Just, right? You know. Yeah, just, just simple. Not even overthinking it. That's similar to what I heard, uh, yeah, Pat Davidson at uh, Rethinking the Big Patterns just talk about high rep hamstring training, just oh, basic yeah. high rep hamstring training. Standing leg curl with yeah. the cuff weight, yeah. you know what I mean? Just knocking those out, so. Cool, guys. All right. Well, hey, thanks for um, thanks for being a part of my second in-person recording. Um, appreciate it massively. And this has been a heck of a day. So thank you guys so much for being on. Yeah. We thanks, appreciate Joel. it, Joel. Thank you. All right, that does it for another episode. Thanks for tuning in today. Enjoy you guys listening. And again, I'm just so blessed to run this show and talk to people who are changing the game, changing the field, changing the consciousness, the consciousness of coaching. And it's like when you, I, I, I really, this this show has really changed the way that I, that I think about things and what I'm aware of. And it's changed my own training. And I'm just really blessed to have people like Alex and Tommy in my life. And I hope you enjoyed that talk. Anyways, um, if you enjoyed it, uh, the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Also, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, K-Box, gym wear, force plates, contact grids, muscle stimulators. They really have the best in each aspect of sports tech, also a great blog. So be sure to visit them, and uh, we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.